Hello and welcome to the TIFO Football Podcast. I'm Joe, uh, but today I'm just here to introduce to you Seb Stafford-Bloor, who is here to introduce to you Jonathan Liu, who is the Chief Football Writer for The Independent. Today's episode is the first in a new series in which Seb interviews various football journalists. And the theme of today's episode is match reporting. Uh, so I do hope you enjoy it. Thank you very much for downloading it. One quick note, the audio quality of today's episode isn't ideal. It had to be recorded over the phone, so we've done the best we can with it. Uh, but uh, for all future episodes, it's going to sound lovely, uh, so don't worry about it. And if you give it uh, 30 seconds, I promise you, you won't even notice it. Alex and I will be back next week, but for now, here's Seb. Hello, uh, welcome to another TFO Football Podcast. Uh, we're going to do something different today, and we'll be continuing our our chats with authors about their books uh, in due course. Obviously, can't do one of those each week. Um, but in the meantime, we're going to record a series of interviews with football journalists, um, exploring different aspects of the profession. Um, and today, today we're going to start with match reporting. Uh, and so I'm privileged to welcome Jonathan Liu, Chief Sports Writer at The Independent, to the pod. Hello. Hi, Seb. Thanks, thanks for having me. No, absolute pleasure, matey. Um, just before we, we get into the, to the match reporting side of things, um, tell us a little bit about how you got into the industry. Um, you started at the Telegraph. Yeah, um, so I, I started at the Telegraph in uh, 2008, actually. I came straight out of uni um, and, and went on their graduate scheme. And originally I was trained as a uh, trained up as a news reporter, I learned shorthand and, and media law and, and you know how to how to construct a news story and kind of doorstepping and all that kind of all, you know all the old school disciplines. Um, then sort of when I arrived at the uh, the Telegraph, uh, there was a there was a space on sport opened up and and uh, that that's kind of where I started off and uh, you know did a few years in the office just uh, you know working on features, working on live blogs and and then. Um, that, yeah, so that, that was my way in, and uh, and, and yeah, so so now I work at the Independent. Did you um when you when you when you came into the graduate scheme, was it always a sort of was it your was your eventual aim to end up in sport? Or was that just how it fell for you? Yeah, I think I mean I suppose it was an aspiration in in the same way that you know being an astronaut or or. Um, <laughs> or <laughs> you know, or, or being a you know a brain surgeon was it was an aspiration. Uh, it did feel um, even you know at the age of eighteen or twenty, it did feel kind of impossibly out of reach. Um, so I just you know like I think a lot of people who come to you know third year or fourth year as it was for me of university, you you just you, you get sort of slightly panicked and you just want a job, any job, any kind of shape of job. I want a salary, I want to, you know, be able to provide for myself and and you're sort of terrified that that's not going to come to pass. Yeah, just give so, me some money uh, basically. I need to pay for things. It's it's kind of uh is how I remember it basically. Yeah, food costs money. Like it does. Um, it does. Booze yeah. costs money. Yeah. Not 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 that I'm I'm sort of uh, you know advocating any kind of you know liquid lifestyle. Um but it, it is I was so grateful, to, I suppose, to get a chance at, at somewhere like the Telegraph that where I ended up, even if it was uploading news stories onto the website for perpetuity, uh, it still felt like a big break at the time. Um, are you okay to talk about sort of the um, the switch between the Telegraph and Indy? Yeah, it, it definitely happened. I can it, 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 <laughs> it definitely did happen. What were the um, obviously you've been there for a long time, almost ten years. Um, so what was the sort of what was the Walk us through how that process came, how, how it sort of unraveled. I mean, um, what, what was the sort of, 
not I don't I don't want you to throw anyone at the Telegraph under the bus, of course. But what what was this, the appeal of the Independent? Okay, um, well I have been there for yeah like uh, nine years and sort of you know, seven years full time on sport and um, was very happy there to be honest and uh, had you know a great portfolio got got to go to you know really good stuff got to work on a variety of things and, and i mean the main thing about like my time at telegraph was just like the amazing people i worked with from you know fellow colleagues on the road to desk to sub editor to the people on the on the web team um it's it's, it's really um it's really kind of a, a positive place to, to work especially the sports department um i mean what happened from the indie side is their chief sports writer ian Herbert went to the mail on Sunday, and uh, they they needed a they needed a replacement, and so they they came to me, and for for me, I guess it was you know, a big step up. Um, generally, I suppose it, it's quite an old school, it's, it's an old fashioned Fleet Street role, the chief sports writer, but uh, I think that they sort of envisioned wanting to take it in a slightly new direction, uh, maybe sort of lose you know letting go of this idea that. A chief sports writer has to be totally on top of, of absolutely everything yeah. in sport. Uh, you know, being able, being able to, to pick and choose your specialisms a little bit that, that sort of appealed to me. Um, and you know, it's uh, I think I would when I, I live in Brixton, right? And when I moved to Brixton about four or five years ago, there was a really big generational split in how people reacted to it. So really, everybody over every over forty over forty five remembers the riots. They remember, you know, uh, they remember it as a pretty run down place. Like, oh my god, you remember Brixton? And and whereas everybody under under thirty five was like, wow, cool, what a hip, what a hip and happening place you happen to be making your home in. And that was it was kind of the same with the Independent. A lot of people. Uh, you know, who had been reared in a traditional newspaper, uh, you know, culture, didn't really understand why I would leave, you know, the Telegraph, which, which for a long time was known as the journalist newspaper for, or the Independent, you know, the which isn't even a newspaper anymore. Whereas I think people, people my age and younger, uh, they sort of got it. It was that the the way that people consume their news these days is is very much. Uh, you know, it's very much web first. You don't need a physical product. People people don't pick up physical products unless they're literally handed to them on the tube. Um, and so, you know, I, I thought it was a I thought, I thought it was a good move for me at the time. It was um, it, it felt like a step up. I um, I, you, you mentioned there that the, the role of the chief sports writer is, is changing a little bit. I mean, I've obviously I've, I've been reading your writing for a long time, and um, you're you're an excellent cricket journalist, of course. You're you know that stands alongside anything you do in football. You also cover a lot of rugby league. Um, your your grand final pieces this year, this year, and previous year, excellent. Um, the real rugby. Oh, I'm recording this from Bath, so <laughs> I happen unofficially. I agree with you off the record, but once I step outside my house, I can't say things like that. Um, that's a different podcast, really. We'll 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 have a follow up, and we'll we'll do that for an hour and a half. Um, but where does your how does the process work? So you week to week, um, there are obviously certain things within your your mental calendar, certain events in the sporting world that presumably you have to you have to be at, you have to attend, and you have to report on. Um, how much of it is is there a space for you to say, right, I, I want to go and do this. This is this matters to me. This is my strength, and this this as the chief sports writer here is something I deem to be important. Do you get a lot of um, do you, do you get the ability, the option to, to drive yeah. what you write about? 
quite quite a lot of that actually. I mean, and that's what's one of the main attractions of the role. Um, there are if for, if we take the last you know three or four months as an example, uh, it's important for me to to cover the you know the rugby league super league grand final yeah. in some way. Uh, I think I've been to about you know, five or six now. Uh, it's important for me to cover to cover darts in some in some way, shape, or form. Um, and these these are sports that you know I wouldn't I don't have nobody's going to push me to do that if if I didn't want to do it. Uh, the independent is yeah, like all uh, you know general sports outlets is is it pretty much subsists on football for most of the year. Um, football and cricket and rugby union and, and, and but, but mainly football. So if I wanted to do you know football for eleven months of the year, I don't think I'd, I'd get much resistance in that. Uh, but I do think it's important to cover a, you know, a, a broad a broad range of things that interest you, um, and you know that that doesn't necessarily, like I said, mean you have to cover all sports. I mean the the conversation uh, earlier this week was whether I would go to the Six Nations, and, and frankly, I don't know enough about rugby union, and it's not it's not something I feel like I could add any value to. Uh, I will I will be going out to to Japan later this year. Um, that, that's the sort of thing that you know has to get planned quite quite a long yeah. way in advance. Um, but yeah, generally speaking, I won't I won't do that much rugby union. I suppose from a we, we will go on to match reporting if we've once we've done this long tangent. Uh, but I suppose from a rugby union point of view, I mean, what, what can you really add to, to to something like the Six Nations? It does seem to be the same thing every single year. Not in terms of results, of course, and the players who participate, but just in its. Its place in the the kind of the, the the sporting landscape. It's not it's not a growing sport like darts. It doesn't um, it doesn't have the, the mass appeal of something like a, a Super League Grand Final, really. Um, and it's still, I don't know. I just it, it just does seem like something that would be very very difficult for, for you to do anything which had any any, any longevity to. Uh, yeah, I mean, I love watching it. Yeah, I, I, I love seeing I love seeing now and watching it. Uh, I just you know it's, it's it's hard to write about. I mean, I, I remember I, mean, I covered the last uh, Rugby World Cup in. Um, in England, uh, 2015, and talking to the one of the rugby writers, the, the Telegraph at the time, I thought, like, what, what's um, so what the, what's that penalty been given for? <laughs> and he's like, I don't, oh, I don't, I don't know. Oh, all right. Oh, what's, so what, what what happened with that scrum? Oh, I don't know. And you, you realise that uh, it's, it's a totally um, it's, it's totally barmy sport with with rules that have, have been kind of changed every couple of years to the, to the point where nobody really knows what's going on anymore. Um, is it difficult? Because obviously, um, you go when you go across these sports, you're obviously going to encounter guys uh, who are specialists. Their life's work has been to cover that sport. Do you face? Yeah. Um, do you suffer any any friction? when you go into those press boxes and into that environment, when, well, for instance, you know, the anecdote that you've just described, when that kind of thing happens, do you, is there any sort of get off our turf to it? No, not really. Uh, I mean, certain sports are better for this than others. I think, uh, cricket's always been an incredibly, I mean, cricket is my, my favorite sport, I have to admit. Um, but you know, it, that's always been extremely welcoming to, to generalists. Uh, I suppose cycling can be a little bit closed, uh, there's, there's a certain kind of proprietary element to it, um, but generally, no. I mean, I don't know what people say about me when I leave the room, but uh, as long as you're, you're enthusiastic and you, you you want to learn things and you feel, uh, you know, and, and you you want to you want to explore the sport and you want to convey its its virtues and its joys, then 
um, and, and you know you're not a dick. It's um, yeah, I, I, you know you won't encounter too many problems. Okay, so let's get on to the match reporting thing. Um, do you? I remember my first live game as just being a three-hour mess of excited to be there, Instagram posts, look where I am and you're not, and not really enough work. I was just baffled by the whole experience. <laughs> um, do you? Do you? Which was the first game that you covered? Oh right, well it's it's interesting you say that. And for the sake of my my ego, you've got to tell a horror story associated with that day now. Really, just to just to pair it off. Uh, no, well, it was. Uh, I have a Google Doc of, of every single football game I covered for work, going back to uh, August or maybe September two thousand and nine. Yeah, which was a League Cup, uh, Carling Cup game, I think it was back then between Southampton and Northampton. First round, I think it was. And Southampton were in League One back then, but you know they had, uh, they had Ricky Lambert and, and Adam Lallana and. Um, uh, Jose Font was still in there, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Was Jose Font still there? Yeah, I think I think Font was still. There. I can't. I can't. I can't remember too much, to be honest. And I wrote 200, 200, 250 words for the for the Telegraph. I was like incredibly excited. I had no idea where to go. Uh, I got there. Well, I was coming straight to the office, so I wanted to get there quite early, which I've now realised is a total waste of time uh, because you just end up eating food and then you don't need to eat and talking to people that you don't need to talk to. Uh, but I got there quite early and. Christ, what I, I mean, what else do I remember about that? Um, I, I, I remember one uh, about a, a week later, they were playing Millwall, also at St Mary's, and I was exceptionally late for that. And I, and I, I didn't realise, and I probably should have realised this is, you know, because I, I didn't I never, uh, yeah, I didn't go to that many games, and the ones I went to, I, I didn't drive, but uh, I, I didn't realise that. Roads around football grounds got closed before a football game, <laughs> and and so you know I was um I was trying to to, to navigate my way through Southampton and uh, with with a, a very uh, kind of, kind of entry level Google Maps as it was back then and uh, and just just coming up against dead end after dead end. And, oh God! And uh, I made that game with about five minutes to spare. Did you um, end up leaving your your car in that strange little church by St Mary's, which charges sort of fifteen quid an hour to? Uh, no, I can't remember. Oh, gosh, I can't remember where I left the car. It may still be there. It might still be there. <laughs> <laughs> the I think still I running. Think I was in one of the docks uh, <laughs> at some some sort of undefined expense. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure it, it's been it's, it's rusted over by now. There's probably uh, you know weeds growing through it. <laughs> so, I mean, when, when we talk about match reporting now, I think I mean I, I think it's fair to say there are there are sort of two different styles regularly in play in the industry, and one is the sort of the, the more traditional. Um, headers and volleys type of situation, and you do come across a lot of people who are there to you know to write sort of three things they learned or three big points or you know a more literal um, interpretation of, of what they've seen. You, um, I wouldn't say it's traditional. I mean, it's accent, but it's it's uh, your you seem to kind of take a theme, extrapolate it over eight hundred, a thousand words, um, and you, you don't get bogged down in the um, in the minute to minute detail of the game itself. What what point did that? What point did that develop in your writing? What point were you were you given the license to do that? I guess is really yeah. what I'm asking. Well, I suppose it's a it's a function of the role that that I currently do. A role that I suppose is, is fairly traditional. Uh, if you if you think about uh, the way newspapers used to you know, used to cover football games, you would have the chief football reporter 
uh, all the correspondent who would, who would do the match report, that would be, I guess, your equivalent of Henry Winter or, or, or Jeffrey Green going back, would, would do the blow-by-blow account of the game. And a second writer would do what, what would be called the sidebar, because often it would appear down the side, you know, down one column of the, of the page, or, um, or it, would be, it would be called the, the colour piece. You know, there's, there's lots of different names for it, sidebar, colour piece. These days it's, it's often called analysis. Uh, you know, five things we learn often fits into that, um, into that category, where you, instead of giving a blow-by-blow account, you're giving a sort of almost an impressionistic view of the game, what, what it's like being there to someone who wasn't, being, who wasn't there, what you maybe missed if you if you were watching it on TV or didn't watch the whole thing, uh, or, or, yeah, like you say, an aspect of you know, one theme or one player uh, of, kind of tangential interest. And, and the idea is that it, it's supposed to complement the match report rather than as a, as, a kind of, as a direct replacement for it. In practice... When I'm sitting next to Miguel Delaney, our, our the, the, the football correspondent, we'll, we'll end up covering on the same ground, but because we'll do it in such a different style, it doesn't feel like we are overlapping. Um, and if I if I'm on my own in a game, I will do a more traditional match report because nobody else is doing that, and people do need to know what happened, especially if it's a smaller game. Um, so lo- lo- yeah, it's so the last time I saw you. you mentioned Miguel there. Um, last time I saw you it was Tuesday night. Talking of people you talked to that you have no need to talk to you <laughs> <laughs> and you you were there with with Miguel and Jack Pitbrook so there, there were three of you from the independent um at the same game um I, I did ask you this at the time but I'm going to ask you to to repeat it all what's the what's the division of labor there so what what is what are, what are, what how is the um how is the workload divided between the three of you on that kind of night uh so Miguel is the correspondent and he will do the report uh, which I guess won't, won't be just a, like a headers and volleys because uh, he's not too intelligent for that, and mm-hmm. he will he will bring sort of analysis into it. He'll bring context, uh, some of them, yeah, and, and run down the main stories from the game, the main talking points. But essentially, the girl will do the report. Jack, uh, who is a very keen, he's got a very keen eye for for detail, and yeah. he's got um, you know, he's he's got an exceptional kind of analytical mind when it comes to football um he will he'll generally take on a player uh some theme from the game i can't i, I, I can't actually remember what he did on tuesday night it's it's um it's it's, it's so long ago i don't remember it as, uh, as he wrote he, he was writing about chelsea's improvement despite the loss so it was a kind right, exactly. of, it yeah. was a slightly so, beneath the surface it was something it was a i can't remember advocating what he wrote but it was more or less you know this was better than the last time they came here to wembley um, right, and his why, basically, yeah. Um, so I suppose you know, if Miguel does what happened, Jack does what does it mean, maybe, or yeah, maybe what, what did you miss from this? Um, and so I suppose my role is uh, somewhere in between, or above, or below, or be, you know, beyond the two of them. Where uh, sometimes I'll, I'll take on a player. I remember, you know, when they're doing Musa Sissoko during the, the previous Spurs Chelsea game at Wembley. What a um, spectacle! What a spectacle! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, it was it was it was quite a performance um, from both of us, if I might add. And uh, I, I think I did. I think I wrote something quite cursory on the night about. I can't remember. Um, so, so my my job is to sort of. I suppose you, you could contextualise it by saying 
Miguel, Miguel writes about what happened, Jack writes about what it means, and I write about maybe what it was like to be there. That's a very, very crude way and, and, and of discussing it, but I suppose that as a starting point, that's probably a good way of thinking about it. Okay, so let's let's uh, let's assume, for example, you you you're you're in a a what's it like to be there mode. Um, mm-hmm. You get there a couple of hours before kickoff, and actually on Tuesday, well, 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 no, no, I'm, I'm trying to flatter you. Just let it go. Just just let it go. Okay. Just just okay. I was doing you. I was doing a good service there. Um, you arrived a couple of hours before kickoff, um, and okay, so for example, on Tuesday night, um, whilst people like me are uh, stuffing themselves. Uh, from the buffet and talking nonsense with other people that they have around them. You were scribbling furiously uh, on a piece of paper by your laptop, preparing. What at what point? At what point do you commit not to an angle but to a theme um, within that night? So you get to Wembley. Let's use that as an example. You get to Wembley and you think tonight I want to write about Musa Sissoko. And what is what? What, what happens between? the point of arriving in the press room and actually taking a seat in the press box for kickoff? Uh, Just make it up. On Tuesday night, what I was doing, I was doing, I was uh, trying to work out, I had I had this theory that the team that plays the second leg in League Cup semi-finals has, a, has an advantage at home. Yeah. So, so Chelsea actually have, a, have an advantage, and I, I'm thinking of that because because of Tottenham's big semi-final wins over, over, over Arsenal and Chelsea in the last yeah. couple of decades. And, and it, it, it's true, the home team does does tend to win about two thirds of them on um, on average. Um, so, th- but that, that that wasn't really that was just me messing around. What, what will happen is I'll have some food. I will chat to people I don't want to chat to. Uh, <laughs> if, if I'm yeah. if I'm at a ground I haven't been at recently or been at for a while i'll have a walk around i'll try and go into the club shop because you you, you won't believe the things you can find in a, in oh, a club shop that, yeah. that, that, that you know you can hang an intro on you know they'll be they'll be selling uh, i don't know george foreman grills or, something, or they'll be selling like cheese slices and you can get a cheese joke in there honestly it's it's more sort of it's it's a real insurance policy um save 300 just, words there I'd say. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you, yeah. you can you can work that into you know people people have worked books out of that kind of material. Uh, have a have a little walk around, try to get to the seat quite early. Uh, sometimes it's worth seeing you know the teams arrive because you can look at them, look at their faces, and see if they're they're generally really focused and wearing headphones. But for, you know, very occasionally, or uh, and really, I suppose you're just trying to get an impression of. You're trying to inhale the game and the atmosphere, and you know, set almost kind of set the boundaries uh, of what you're going to be seeing. You can go overboard on that. I think you can you can get a, a little bit hung up on preparation, and especially if you pick a team before the game starts, which is very dangerous. Very, very yeah. dangerous. We're going to get uh, to that. The, the, the hidden dangers of that that you forget to you know you forget to react to what happens in the game uh, but in terms of picking a theme I suppose the latest you can go on a theme is about half time and I, I didn't actually pick a theme until about 80 minutes and you'll notice that I didn't actually pick a theme at all I just sort of wrote um, because I had, I had a theme in mind that I wanted to explore for my overnight piece which was on Harry Kane, 
which I, I, we, we might we might we might come to later anyway. But um, yeah, no, just just to, just for people listening, um, explain explain the difference between um, a live piece and an overnight piece, and the right. kind of the requirements for when they're due. Uh, a live piece is uh, has to be filed. Basically, as soon as the full time whistle goes, you're expected to to file. You're expected to press send. In practice, it doesn't always work like that, especially if there's been late goals. Uh, you know, you'll you'll have a little bit of grace to you know, tidy up your report and, and add any extra bits. Um, but that's a live piece. And if you're at an evening game um, and you're writing for a newspaper, it's that that's pretty much newspaper deadline. I think most newspapers go. Uh, off stone as they call it about sort of 10 o'clock so you don't, you don't have a huge amount of time if uh, if it's an, it's an evening game uh then the next day or you know the next morning we like to we like to write something quite early the next day while while the game's still fresh but you know, seems we're not tied to a print product you know we can we can we can use that old internet to uh, to put up put up our thoughts during the day uh, then you've got, you know, you've got the benefit of a little distance. You've had a little time to think about it. You've, you've heard from the managers in their press conferences. And a lot of the time, they'll say they'll say things which may not be news lines that you you put on, you see on the back page of a newspaper, but but do explain the game in a way that that can illuminate an analysis piece. Right, right. Um, things basically. And, what you mean though is, do you mean things which aren't really headline worthy? But which sort of add a, a validation, perhaps, to a, a theory you've carried or an observation you've made. Exactly. So you know, Guardiola, for example, says something like, "Oh, you know what? I really like the way John Stones carries the ball, and and the way he 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 kind of clips the ball, clips you know the ball out wide." And that's you're not going to find that on like on the headline on on Sport.com or, or you know. But uh, it is actually quite an interesting thought if you if you're, if you're writing about John Stones' distribution. Absolutely. So that's 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 the. The, the point of press conferences is that a lot of people don't don't really grasp that it's not just about you know tripping people up or 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 you know creating great telly for Sky Sports News. Often it is actually to ask managers about things that you're interested in to write thoughtful articles. Did you, a lot of people um, or, know that. Since we're on press conferences, did you find it? Right, I mean, I, I, full disclosure, I'm going to embarrass myself here. The first time I ever went into one, um, I had no idea, you know, because no one, no one tells you how to behave or what to do or where to go or which door to use and all that kind of thing. So you, you, you kind of just try and pick it up as you go along. And I, I remember uh, the first one I did, uh, sort of Alan Pardew was in there after a Palace game and um, and questions were sort of, you know, being shot at him from all around the, all around the room. And I just thought, I don't know. Maybe you just put your hand up. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so, so, gosh, no. <laughs> so hopefully, if, if people want to search back through the, the Sky archives, um, if you see a sort of a, a rogue hand, uh, and I, I must have just sat there for five minutes, and I thought, what, what, why is the press officer not coming to me? And, and yeah, how long did it take you? Because for some people, it's very easy. They have absolutely no inhibition about shouting out the question. This is what I think. This is what I need to know. If you're doing a more thoughtful piece, if, for instance, all right, say, say you want that little detail about John Stones' distribution, um, how long did it take you to, to develop the confidence to think, well, I'm going to ask that and I'm going to suffer the, the eye rolls from people who are just there for the soundbite? Does uh, that make sense? It's, well, it's, it's, it's your job. I mean, I, I like to, you know, I don't attend a huge amount of press conferences, so I don't, I don't barge in there. I, don't, I try and, you know, I, I 
leave the floor to people who are there week in, week out, and for whom getting something interesting out of that press conference is literally their, their living, their livelihood. So I won't barge in straight in first question and say, like, please talk about, you know, uh, in the, the medium block. Because, uh, that, that will, you know, I would quite like to hear yeah. someone do that one, well, just once, just because I'm curious as to what would happen. Just I'm, I'm, I'm not a theory about press conferences. You know, if, if, you're doing a, if you're doing a podcast on press conferences, I've got, I've got a, I don't go to a lot, but I had a lot of thoughts about them. I think they were incredibly interesting and, and not as useless as people think. Um, but anyway, uh, if you want, if, if, if you put your hand up, I'm afraid you, you will, you will never get called on. No, no, um, we've learned. Although, although it does, you know, it does work in, at some um, international tournaments and things like that, and, and certainly a lot of other sports, there'll be a microphone, and you have to wait for the microphone. There's a whole, you know, different countries operate different systems um there are separate there are separate daily newspaper briefings which generally take place in a very surreptitious huddle in a side room which which most people probably don't even know about but after Actually, the main press conference yes do this do the, this yes this is interesting yeah you, because this is a weird little convention that no one is really aware of so okay so i'll set the scene we, we we've had the main press conference um it's a saturday it's a saturday the cameras have gone off um, and then the press officer, Ouija, you know, gather the Sunday writers into a little corner, perhaps in a little different room. What happens in that little huddle? All right, he'll gather the Monday writers because this is this is a, a remnant from the era when Sunday papers and daily newspapers were were, were pretty much separate, which they they are less and less now. Uh, so this was so that the, the daily newspapers would have something fresh to print on Monday morning, and they will go into a you know a little side room where nobody else can hear them and they will ask questions that are, are embargoed until for, for, for print until, you know, Monday's newspapers. And it'll just be a few minutes. Often, you know, you get quite interesting stuff there because there's no cameras. Uh, it's often a more intimate environment. There's fewer people there. You know, you're, you're, you're literally right up in their face holding, it, holding a, a dictaphone rather than sitting in a chair and they're sitting behind a desk. And, uh, you know, you can, get, you can get a good bit of interaction going. You don't get a huge amount of time, but often you do get more interesting answers. Uh, okay, I've got a hug from Jurgen Klopp wanted on Monday's briefing um, before he, he, he heard the rest of my question. <laughs> okay, so what was the part of your question which, which, which brought him oh, into right, your so, arms? So they uh, they just won 3-2 at Leicester and I said, not many teams will come to Leicester and score three goals and he just gives me a massive hug. You know, this is the sort that the you know he he, he, he worried for his glasses and mine uh, uh, and Allison in the uh, Merseyside derby style hug shall we say yeah exactly he came bounding uh, to you and just yeah yeah and then and then I said once I extricated myself I said uh, but does the fact that you conceded two such sloppy goals worry you or something like that and he goes, <laughs> ah is 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 not the positive question that I, I thought it would be <laughs> ah yes well. Um, so, so that was a that was a shame for him, but a nice story for me. <laughs> <laughs> so, more broadly, though, have you? I mean, when you're when you're when you're doing when you're doing an overnight piece, obviously the um, the fear of the situation and the time limit and the pressure subsides a little bit. Have you ever, in, presumably in your early days when you were when you were getting used to it, did you ever have any? Uh, I mean, did you ever get yourself into a mess? Did you ever? Did you ever get to a sort of 70 minutes and think, God, I've written 150 words and I've got 20 minutes to write, you know, uh, you know, eight paragraphs on a goalless draw? Do you have any of those horror stories? Yeah, I mean, this, this, this happens all the time. And, and uh, it, happened, it happened a lot when I was, when I was writing The Telegraph. Um, 
you know, you, you get a last minute goal, I think for Fulham in a Europa League game or something, and just totally messed up my report and just staring at the screen and basically panicking. Um, these days, you, you, don't, you don't have a newspaper at deadline. There's there's not quite the same jeopardy. And, and occasionally you do get yourself tangled with all sorts of knots. I thought, like when I was at the World Cup final, which is not a game you, you really want to screw up. No. Um, as, as a rule, uh, I pretty much screwed up because I didn't know what... I, I, I wanted to write about so many different things uh, that... I ended up just writing a little bit about all of them, and it, it was it was a little bit like, you know, when you go to like a, a big buffet and you have like a little bit of curry yeah. and a little bit of hamburger and a, and a little bit of sushi yeah. and a little bit of salad, and it, and it, and it just it just tastes you, terrible. It's the breakfast one. You go there and you think you see all the fried food, you think, well, that looks very nice, and then you see all the fruit and you think, well, I should have that. You end up having not quite enough of either. To make yeah, you, you yeah. only have if, if you think about most people's breakfast, you only have one thing generally most yeah. days. It's, yeah. it's just it's the illusion of choice, you know. Just because you're presented with a stick, say, "All right, well, I'm going to have a croissant and some baked beans." Gosh, I, I, you know, I've always wanted to be one of those people that you, I mean, you see people in that situation that they they sit down by themselves and they're just surrounded by plates. They go up and back and up and back, and they have they have no sort of. Um, <laughs> They have no no fear of the stigma <laughs> that no. they're fighting on themselves. <laughs> no, I, I, I'm Chinese, of course, which um, a culture in which overeating is is positively encouraged. Okay, okay. So uh, I don't yeah, I don't know uh, how to respond to that, but oh no, if you, if you, if you ever if you ever you know if I'm ever going to a, like a Chinese all you can eat buffet, if you, if you ever come come with me, I'll, I'll show you how to I'll show you how to get your money's worth. Okay, okay. Oh, well, you're on for that. Well, okay. Well, we'll do that, but also World Cup final. Um, <laughs> we'll go back to that. Um, so, do you? Okay, something like the World Cup final. Obviously, your piece comes out and an hour late. An, an hour, hour after, late. An hour after full time, when you know Putin and and uh, Macron have all and, and have all come out and um, got soaked, and they've lifted the trophy, and there's ticker tape all over the pitch, and you're still there, can trying to come up with a synonym for pitch well well you know the black eyed peas are pounding around the stage yeah. IPA. Yeah. yeah so one of the sort of the the newer facets of or well, newer challenges of match reporting is that obviously uh, a lot of a lot of fans are able to watch games um we would never advocate uh, legal streaming at tifo football but i dare say it goes on um and there's also there's a really analytical culture now like it's um you know the the sort of the, the theme pieces where you're talking about mood. Uh, you, you, you sat in a stadium before the game. Your Champions League piece, for instance, where you're talking about the sort of the latent energy in the stadium before a big event. That kind of stuff is when you write a piece. Do you do you face a lot of opposition from from people that have watched the game in a very literal way and who have done so with you know a, a spreadsheet of data accumulating next to them and is that is that a challenge for someone that wants to, to write about the, the I suppose the, the intangibles on occasion more often than not yeah I mean I sp- not really I mean because I've always used I've always used uh, stats and numbers quite quite liberally in in, in my in my writing uh, in certainly in my, in my match reporting uh, I will have one of the tabs I'll have open is like the live who scored yeah you know, uh, coverage uh, I'll have you know I'll, I'll have the stats the the four four two stat zone app open so um, so yeah not not from that side I mean the the main but you do get 
you do get comments after a game from people who who, agree, who disagree with your take on it. Um, the most common comment you will get is, what were, were, you you even, "Were you even at the game? What yeah. game were you watching? Did you even see the game?" Yeah. Um, and you and like the, the crux of it is, you can't really give the truth or answer, which is, "No, I'm afraid I didn't for most yeah. of the second half because I was writing." And so, yeah, you do have to kind of this. people have people have replays it. People have you know people have luxurious TV coverage from their sofa, that, and they've probably seen and they've probably seen more than you have. Well, this is the thing. This is a, I'm glad you got this because it's one of the the greatest misconceptions certainly that I had. On average, how much of the game do you actually watch? On a, um, on a, okay, so a, a general a, a general Premier League game, not not a special occasion, a Champions League or a World Cup. You know, how much of that game? Do you actually get to, to to sit there and watch? I I think I would say more than most. I'd say probably two thirds. It's if you think about like, the balls in play on average for what like fifty minutes. I think it's just just under sixty now. I, I think okay. So. Yeah, right. Like Let's that. say you know, say fifty-five, sixty minutes. I reckon I'll have watched 45, 50 minutes of that. Um, I like to think so. I, I think if the ball's in motion. I've got an eye on it. Uh, in practice, it's not always the case because obviously I have been, I will admit I have been startled by goals before. Uh, <laughs> but I, I think I try, I try not to, I try not to tweet at all during games or I try not to, I try not to have too many screens open, I, I, especially in the first half. I try and watch it yeah. um, because you, you pick up so many things that there is, there is literally so many moving parts to a football game that, you can always watch it and learn something, even if it's a boring nil-nil. Uh, I genuinely believe that. Um, there's just so many people there. It's it's, yeah. it's impossible not not to learn something. So I, I do try to watch as much as I can. Yeah. Well, I, I suppose I mean if you're it, well, you say that you you know you, you try and you try and spend time in the club shop or in the sort of the the area immediately around the stadium. The things that you encounter in the sea and you smell and you hear, there's got to be 800 words in that somewhere. Um, even if w- what happens inside the stadium is is completely uh, forgettable. Um, yeah, I mean, this this is the great thing about writing for the India these days, where you you don't we don't have formal word limits. Um, just write as write as much as the website can handle is um, is, is basically the ethos. And so, if you want to write six hundred words on what the what an empty stadium is like, the end of three hours before a Champions League final. You, know, you have the scope to do that. If you're writing a live report for the Observer on the Sunday Times, you don't have the scope to do that because you're constricted by by paper space. Okay, so that, that brings us on. I've, I've kept you for far too long already, but just just finally, I mean, I'm going to ask you an unanswerable question. Obviously, match reports the, the, the place in the in the the, con- the, the the game's consciousness has changed a little bit because you know the exposure and the coverage. I mean, ten years time, where, where do you see? the specific discipline being i mean where do you what do you what do you see its future as being i guess um i didn't really understand that question myself actually so well I don't, yeah, I don't think the match report has a huge future to be honest i don't think the straight bloke on a bow match report uh people demand uh, comment and analysis and talking points almost during the game yeah uh I think during the last, you know, during this uh, last year's Champions League final, the the, you know, the, the guys back in the office, the, one of the best, uh, one of the most read stories 
that that whole evening was when they put a breaking news thing on on, on Salah getting injured, uh, which was up basically by half time, and you know that's probably the future. People want you know everything very quickly, and have it if you've seen a game, um, you don't need to read a report of it. You're you're on the hunt for new stuff. You're on the hunt for what people think about it. Um, people are always people are always searching something new these days and, and, they, and they get through they get through stuff very quickly and if, you, if you're not offering something new um, people won't really bother with it I suppose, I suppose that's where it's going so they, 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 think they want conclusions they want kind of it seems this way anyway they, they want um, permanent exegesis permanent context exactly that exactly that and, and it, it, it's a yeah it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very strange thing it seems like every you know, a lot of a lot of stuff, a lot of talking points have a lifespan a lifespan now, which is shorter than it's ever been. Certainly, you know, as far as I can remember, um, you need probably a far more experienced person than me to, to have any sort of proper comment on that. But it's just it's just a strange thing. Anyway, if you listen, I'm going to let you go. It's Friday, and you are owed uh, an afternoon without me. Um, thank you very much for coming on. <laughs> no, my pleasure. Thanks and, for having me. Uh, yeah, it's been brilliant. Thank you, matey. Bye bye. Cheers, sir. Bye.